We're taking a deep dive on a couple of overlooked veterans and surveying the rookie hitter landscape. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Monday, October 12th. I'm Al Melchior. I am here with Derek Van Riper to start off another week of Fantasy Baseball analysis as we're enjoying the postseason. And DVR, speaking of the postseason, uh, for Monday's ALCS game between the Rays and the Astros, Charlie Morton has been named the Rays Game 2 starter. Uh, and he's been in the news, uh, and not just because of that, uh, but Morton, he's got a um, an option year coming up and in a tweet that came out on Sunday from John Morosi, uh, Morton said that he would, and I'm uh, just going to read the direct quote here from Morton. He'd be completely honored and privileged to continue to play for the Rays uh, if they pick up his contract option for 2021. Uh, And then Morosi goes on to say that if the Rays don't pick up the option, Morton said he's going to talk about the possibility of retiring. So it seems like this has been coming up Every offseason for Morton for maybe the last three years, it seems like it's gone back a ways. And I've been passing him over in my too early mock. Uh, He did finally get taken in round 14, but I took Tristan McKenzie before him. And I wondered if that was a really wrong thing to do. Um, So I guess we'll look at two different scenarios here. Uh, I mean, given the uncertainty, would you have made a similar move? And if we know that Charlie Morton is going to be back for next year, how late should he fall? If we knew he was coming back, I think he'd go probably in the 125 to 140 range. So I think that'd be an SP3 in most cases. You're still not looking at him as a guy that you expect to stay completely healthy over a full-length season. He did have about, uh, I think, was shoulder inflammation this year that cost him some time. So he only threw 38 innings, I think, in the short and regular season. And his velocity was down a full mile per hour compared to where it was a year ago, too. Now, I think it's hard to read a lot into that and say, oh, okay, was this because of the weird ramp up to the season or is it because he actually lost something? That much is just kind of a, a guess at this point. Uh, but I think he still has a lot left in the tank. Even with that reduced velocity, strikeout rate was still pretty good. The walk rate was good. Didn't have major issues with home runs. This is a guy who was a six-war pitcher in 2019. So, you know, maybe he's made enough money. Maybe he's got other stuff he wants to do with his life. And if he chooses retirement, Good for him, uh, but I think there will be plenty of teams interested in Charlie Morton if the Rays don't pick up that option and if he is interested in pitching in 2021 because there are a ton of pitchers who are coming off of major injuries and every team is looking for a uh, stabilizing presence in its rotation and Morton on a short-term deal especially could absolutely fill that sort of void. Well, given the uncertainty right now, um, who would you take, Morton or McKenzie uh, in a draft right now? I would probably take Morton, but I, I do like McKenzie. I mean, I think the the big question I have with Tristan McKenzie is similar to the Morton question. I wonder how Tristan McKenzie is going to hold up physically. He lost a lot of time to a lat injury in the minor leagues. He's very thin, <laughs> and you just wonder if, if the, the workload every fifth day over a six-month season would grind him down a little bit. Uh, aside from just making it through the year, how effective will he be come August, come September of a full season. But 
he ticks a lot of boxes. He's in an organization that develops pitching as well as pretty much any org in the league right now. And he looked great in his first run in the big leagues. We're talking about a guy that had a better strikeout rate than Charlie Morton did. And I think the only real concern there is just going to be durability in the long run for McKenzie. So I think they're comparable. And I think given the lack of knowing Morton's future at this point, I think that's a reason that you can use to justify taking McKenzie in that spot. That's what I did. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, by the time we're drafting, uh, hopefully there won't be this uncertainty about Morton's status for 2021. Uh, now, somebody who doesn't have that kind of uncertainty, um, much younger player, but has fallen and fallen and fallen in my two early mocks, in my two early mock, and also in the other two early mocks. And maybe you can speak to this DVR. I know you've done at least one draft so far. Uh, Andrew Benintendi is still out there. Our draft, as of this recording, is in the middle of round 16. So I've got him queued up because at this point, whatever, you know, issues he has, um, the outfield uh, pool at this point in the draft is pretty ugly. And uh, I'd actually be really happy for Ben Benintendi to slide down to my my next pick, which will come at the uh, the end of the round. But um, or actually, I take that back in the end of the next round. But uh, his ADP in the Turley Max is 189. It, do you think that um, Benintendi will be a big bargain next year? Do you think that's an appropriate place for him to be taken? I don't even know if we can count anything that happened in 2020 from Andrew Benintendi. It was only 14 games. The season ended with a rib injury. I know the 2019 step back was a big disappointment. I think he was kind of a fringy top 100 overall player in 2020 drafts. So a slight discount off that, maybe because of injury concerns, is deserved. But if he's falling toward the back of the top 200, I'll probably have a lot of Andrew Benintendi on my teams next season. This is a guy that should play every day. It's a Boston lineup that should be a bit better this year, uh, next year than it was this year. And I think you could look at him and say, you know, there's power, there's speed. Maybe there's not as much power as we'd hoped, but this is a guy that not that long ago was getting comps to Christian Yelich, maybe being a guy that could fill all the categories and vault up to an MVP sort of level. It's possible that people were wrong about his ceiling, myself included, but a guy who plays every day that can be a plus contributor in all five categories shouldn't fall to the back of the top 200. I still think he can be that player, and people are losing sight of the fact that he's still just 26 years old. So uh, I'm definitely in on Benintendi, especially at that reduced price. All right. So, and you know, something to just to keep in mind if you are doing early drafts, whether they're for real or mocks, that uh, he, like uh, a lot of players that miss time, they're they're buried in those draft room rankings. So uh, maybe that's a group we can address um, at some point uh, this, early this offseason. But um, before we uh, move ahead with that, let's talk about some rookie hitters and let's just pivot to, um, to Ben Intendi's teammate, Bobby Dalbeck. Uh, you know, a lot of power production there, but also a strikeout rate in excess of 40%. Um, is that something that you expect will come down next year? Does it need to come down for him to be viable in 12 teamers? It could come down, but I mean, if you go back and look at Bobby Dalbach at A ball and even double A the first time he reached that level, he struggled with strikeouts. And we've seen patterns like that from other players where you repeat a level and you bring it down. Austin Riley's a guy who comes to mind. Sometimes it takes longer to bring the K rate down in the big leagues, and sometimes you don't bring it down quite as much as you did in the upper levels of the minors either. So I'm a little bit skeptical of Bobby Dahlbach and his ability to improve in that regard quickly. If he's going to play every day, I think he's going to provide cheap power. And you know, cheap power hitting in the middle third of that Boston order could make him an undervalued player. But I think he's an undervalued player with some flaws based on what we've seen to this point. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So DVR, there's a number of um, rookies, high profile rookies that we've talked a lot about all season long. Certainly Luis Robert came in with a lot of expectations. Um, Kyle Lewis with the September that he had last year. Um, Jake Cronenworth really uh, established himself pretty early on. But there's a lot of other rookie hitters. We've talked about Dalbeck, but some other ones that I feel like deserve a little bit more discussion as we start to assess players for 2021. And... um, so I've got a few here, and I've sort of lumped them together in categories. Key Brian Hayes and Randy Arozarena, I think something that they have in common is just power that seemed to come out of nowhere. So given the very small samples of uh, playing time that they they accrued in 2020, how much uh, do you plan on discounting those numbers? Well, with Hayes, I think it was always something that people who analyze prospects and scouts suggested he would develop over time. And I guess I'm always confused when it just sort of happens overnight. Like, what switch flip? Did he really make a mechanical switch uh, adjustment to his swing? Or did he get really lucky on batted balls? Or is it a little from column A, a little from column B? I'm worried that with Cabrian Hayes, that the recency bias of what he did in 24 games is going to skyrocket his price to a level that I'm just uncomfortable with. I think the things that work in his favor are that he's a great defender, at a position where defense really matters and the hit tool has always been really good. So he doesn't seem like the kind of player who's going to have the strikeout rate go through the roof and that would leave him susceptible to prolonged slumps. But if you said how many home runs is Cabrian Hay is going to hit in 2021 and we're assuming a 162 game schedule, I would put the over under around 17 and a half and that's okay. That's, that's good for a deeper league. That's not necessarily great for a shallow mixed league especially at what I think will be an inflated price. So I do like him quite a bit as a player. I don't think it's impossible that he's developed more power, but I'm legitimately concerned that he showed us too much too quickly and the market's going to overcorrect in a way that makes it almost impossible for me to draft Cabrian Hayes. All right. Well, and another category of hitters, um, hitters that didn't necessarily produce that much power, but were really useful in terms of batting average and not necessarily players that we would have expected to be in that category. Uh, Now, two hitters in that category, Ryan Mountcastle and Alec Bohm. I think we probably expected more from them in terms of power production. Willie Castro, I know you were very high on him uh, before he got the call from the Tigers. Uh, very high batting average from him and a little bit of power production to, to go along with it. But um, how do you look at these players? And I'm particularly interest, interested in Mountcastle and Bohm because, yeah, first off, you figure out how much you're going to adjust your batting average expectations. But also, did we maybe expect too much in terms of power? I think we might have expected a little too much in terms of power from Mountcastle, but he didn't really do what I expect him to do. I thought he'd be low average and more power from the jump. It's kind of like the Cabrian Hayes problem, but in the other direction where he was power over hit tool and showed us more hit tool than I expected. I do think when you look at the average exit velocity, Ryan Mountcastle doesn't necessarily jump off the page. And you know who you are when you show up in the league isn't who you're going to be going forward. But it doesn't necessarily point to a guy that was 
cheated in the home run category. So with Mountcastle, I think he got pretty lucky on balls in play. He had a 398 Babbitt. Maybe you get more power, but he's probably more likely to hit 230 than to even approach hitting 300 again. So I, I think that's the the drawback in his profile. I think the Orioles are going to trust him with regular playing time. He's got nothing left to prove in the minors. He had nothing left to prove this season. I'm surprised they waited as long as they did to give him that opportunity. So I do think compared to someone like Hayes, who's going to be overdrafted, Mountcastle might be pretty fairly priced because he's on a rebuilding team. He didn't go completely bonkers, even though those numbers look really good. And I, I think he's one of those guys because he's also not going to steal any bases. He's going to get a little bit discounted too. I think we're seeing a lot of inflation for guys who run even a little bit this draft season. And Boehm, I think, is more legit because if you look at the underlying numbers, they support a power hitter who's going to continue to produce at a high level. The hard hit balls were there right away. I think you're talking about three more miles per hour on his average exit velo compared to someone like Mountcastle. His strikeout rate was good. Yeah, he was also lucky with balls in play. A 410 BABIP's not a normal thing that anyone's going to hold. Uh, they're both in hitter friendly environments. So, I mean, you, you could see steady power from both. But I think of the two, I trust Bohm's approach to hold up a lot better as big league pitchers get books put together on both of these guys. I think the adjustment phase for a lot of these rookies, Hayes included, it's coming. It's, it's coming in the early part of 2021. We're going to see how good these young players really are once teams find the holes in their approach. And I just want to mention one more thing about Bone because, you know, you cited some of the aspects of his, his stat line that, um, you know, make him an attractive uh, candidate for power next year, even if he didn't really have the results this year. But uh, I, I was trying to figure out why didn't he hit for more power, especially given his home park? Well, Bohm hit 32 fly balls this season. He pulled two of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to give you a, a frame of reference, somebody with a with an exact opposite uh, profile, somebody who would pull a lot of fly balls, probably would have pulled like 10 or 11 of those, maybe even a little bit more. So it's a small sample, but it's an extremely low number of pulled fly balls. So maybe he, he reverses that uh, that tendency next year as well. Yeah, and I think the other thing that will probably change, the ground ball rate jumped. He was at 53.2%. I mean, almost two ground balls to every fly ball. That's not who Alec Bohm was as a hitter in the minor leagues, so I would expect that to change. And once he's hitting the ball in the air more often, even if he's going to use the entire field the way he did during his rookie season, especially in Philadelphia, he's going to be rewarded with some home runs. So uh, Bohm's a player that I really like quite a bit. I mean, compared to Brian Hayes, I have a lot more faith in Bohm delivering and making the adjustments quickly in 2021. All right. And I want to talk about just one more rookie, someone who didn't really play all that much, um, but for understandable reasons, I'm talking about Edwin Diaz or I'm sorry, Edwin Rios, um, Edwin Diaz. We'll talk about him some other time, but <laughs> Edwin Rios, um, a very, very crowded roster situation for the Dodgers, but with uh, Justin Turner going into a free agency, maybe the Dodgers resign him. Maybe they don't, maybe they look for another solution at third base. But um, how do you see Rios's odds of improving his playing time next season? Because in the limited playing time he's had both in uh, 2019 and 2020, he's produced a lot of power. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy that in parts of, of two seasons has played a total of 60 games for the Dodgers, 12 homers in just 139 plate appearances, K rates under 30%. He walks a little bit, hits the ball hard, and he hits the ball in the air. He does all the things we're looking for in a potential uh, sort of breakout power hitting corner infield mold. 
and he just needs that opportunity. So whether it's with the Dodgers or whether he's included as part of a trade as they address some other area of the roster and that opens up an opportunity for him, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think he is kind of a legitimately good hitter. I think he's clearly past Matt Beatty in the pecking order for uh, loose playing time in the Dodgers organization. So uh, I'm interested in Edwin Rios. I think he's going to be cheap in early drafts too because with the uncertainty about his role, Nobody's going to want to take a chance on a potential part-time player, but there's a few ways this could go right, and one of them could just be the Dodgers entrusting him with more opportunities and letting Turner walk. But I am curious what they would do defensively if they would move maybe Corey Seager over to third base or if Lux would play third base or how they'd defensively adjust if they didn't bring in a true replacement or retain Turner. Well, the Dodgers being the Dodgers, you name three players, you know, maybe you could think of a couple others, uh, maybe Max Muncie uh, that could play over there. Um, and yeah, Rios, um, you know, the way that the Dodgers use their personnel. I mean, he could uh, get a big bump in playing time just by, you know, playing a little uh, at the corners. Uh, who knows that there'll be a DH. Uh, so it'll be an interesting thing to watch that develop. Um well, we'll get back to some other rookies, particularly rookie pitchers. We still need to talk about them. We'll get to that later in the week. But for this episode, we are going to wrap things up. So if you are listening to this episode of Fantasy Baseball 15 on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Tuesday. Tuesday. 